from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. Hi, I'm Hillary Collier. I'm an audit partner in Atlanta. Um, I'm here with Doug Mims, who's a financial institutions and industry line leader and also a partner out of Atlanta. And we're here to talk about Fiducia. Well, it's, first of all, it's, it's good to be here and, and glad to be uh, speaking with, with the community banks out there who are, look, who are struggling possibly with Fiducia transition. But uh, good, good question. You know, what, what, has, what has kind of gotten Fiducia back on the radar? And I would say there's probably three things. One uh, is the pandemic. And so, and, and what came out of the pandemic, which is uh, government spending. And when the government money got into the system, a lot of it uh, kind of stuck around, hung around in, in, on the balance sheets of community banks. And as such, some banks that were, you know, 300, 350 million, all of a sudden found themselves swelling to half a billion. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the other thing is uh, M&A activity. So there's, there has been, not so much in 22, but in the prior, you know, in 21 and in 20, there was a fair amount of M&A activity and, and that grew balance sheets as well. So really the, the, the driver has been balance sheet growth at community banks and uh, it's kind of, you know, banks on average are a little larger than they used to be. I spent my uh, my money that I got from the government. I did not put it in my deposit <laughs> well, account, so well, I was not a driver. <laughs> well, I, I just want to know what you did. I hope you, you didn't commit any any improprieties in obtaining no, funds. No, just just clothes clothes shopping. <laughs> um, so maybe we should back up and and give our listeners a bit more of a background on Fiducia. Yeah, good 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 point, Hillary. So so Fiducia is is short for the FDIC Improvement Act, which was signed into law in 1991. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm old enough to to recall 1991 uh, in my career. So I started in the business in, in 1990, which was just after the savings and loan crisis in the late 80s. And so the FDIC Improvement Act was passed and signed into law in direct response to the savings and loan crisis. And really, there was two two primary drivers of, of what Fiducia was seeking to accomplish. One was to enhance the stability of the U.S. banking system and also to enhance the accountability of those managing financial institutions and the accountability of their board of directors. So it was it was really, you know, ha had a couple of facets to it, but really it was try to try to shore things up after what was a, uh, a very negative and uh, detrimental period for uh, savings and loans and other small community banks. I was in middle school, so I was not, and I was yeah, not aware you, of Fiducia. You, you were unaware. I was unaware. Um, so what are, what are some of the t uh, specific requirements of Fiducia and when are they applicable? So Fiducia is, is driven by asset size, which is, you know, based on, it's the reason I referenced uh, swelling of balance sheets. And, and, and the primary part of the Fiducia of, of the FDIC Improvement Act that relates to this is Part 363, just for reference. But really, uh, when, you, when you reach the half billion dollar threshold, which is 500 million, so we're not talking about mega banks here, we're talking about 
good size, if you will, uh, that's real technical, but a good size community bank, 500 million in assets, really have to do a few different things. One, uh, the majority of your audit committee has to be uh, outside directors who are independent of, of management, so that's, that's one thing. Uh, another thing is, is that management has to evaluate their internal controls and represent uh, formally to the FDIC that they're responsible for preparing their financials and that they're pre uh, responsible for, for establishing and maintaining adequate internal controls over financial reporting. So ICFR, so that management is supposed to maintain effective ICFR and they represent that to the FDIC which includes safeguarding of assets. Uh, they're also supposed to represent and comply with designated laws um, in and around insider loans and dividend restrictions. So it's kind of a, a three-pronged animal. So ICFR, uh, regulatory reporting, and laws and regs. And so it, uh, the, the act basically says if you're over half a billion, you got to represent to the FDIC in a formal way that, that you are in compliance with these things. Uh, the other, the other add-on that impacts CPA firms, but obviously ulti ultimately impacts community banks, is the most independence rules change. So the independent auditor then, at a half a billion, the independent auditor has to uh, comply with the most stringent independence rules available at the time. It doesn't specify which ones. Well, that happens to be the SEC rules. So the public company slash SEC rules for independence apply to the independent auditor of a bank over 500 million, which seems a little bit extreme, but that's the way the, the rules were written and that's what, what everybody seeks to play by today. Uh, really the other threshold is a billion in assets and, and there's really two changes there. Well, one is that all committee, all audit committee members must be outside directors and independent of management. So when I mentioned half a billion, I, I was talking about uh, the majority had to be. Well now, if you clip a billion, uh, all co audit committee members have to be outside directors. And, and quite frankly, that's, uh, that, that's a little bit challenging for a community bank to have the, a board makeup because most people don't have that board makeup. And then the, the other requirement is that the bank's external auditor has to opine on ICFR, not just on the financial statements, but on internal controls over financial reporting. So most of the requirements kick in at half a billion. At a billion, it's, it's uh, audit committee level and, and the ICFR, which, which quite frankly is a significant undertaking uh, for management to go through that process. I won't get into the details of it, but it's significant because it represents time, it represents cost, and oftentimes for a community bank that's a billion dollars in assets, they're not that sophisticated, so they actually have to engage third parties to help them uh, go through the ICFR exercise. Plus, the financial statement audit becomes more expensive. And they have to, I mean, you have to start planning for that well in advance. That's right, that's right. And, and, um, and then the other threshold is three billion, so you got 500 million, a billion, three billion, uh, the audit committee's got to include a bank or financial management expert at $3 billion. Uh, the audit committee should have access to their own outside counsel at $3 billion. And the audit committee cannot include any large customers as defined by the regulation. So it's not uncommon at all for a community bank board to be comprised of local business owners, not bankers, but local business owners from the community 
and who own shares in the bank, but they also do their business mm -hmm. with the community bank. And so when you get to three billion in assets, basically what the reg says is, yeah, those folks can be on your board uh, that, that have, quote, large relationships. They can be on your board, but they can't serve on your audit committee. Makes sense. More, more levels of independence. That's right. Um, are there any other relevant requirements? Well, I, I, I guess what I didn't say on, on those is these, these representations about ICFR and compliance with laws and, and regs, uh, those, those reports have to be done within 120 days of year end. So basically for most institutions, that's going to be April the 30th. Uh, any, any management letters or, or anything like that that are issued by a CPA firm, they have to be filed with the FDIC within 15 days. Um, and I, I think I did mention that it, it covers regulatory reporting. Oh, and, the, and then the, the, the measurement date for these thresholds is January 1. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're whatever you are at the end of the year, because December 31 is basically January 1, whatever your asset threshold is at that point, then that is, you know, when FDICIA kicks in for you. Okay. So what are the uh, unique challenges regarding FDISHA transition in today's environment? Yeah, so kind of going back to, to the fact that the, the pandemic, the funds in the, on the balance sheets of these community banks, so the swelling, uh, the M&A activity, whatever the driver is, we've seen bank, community banks grow, quick, grow quickly and, and probably in a manner that they never really planned to. Uh, and, but now I say that, it's, it's not that they're doing anything um, risky or anything like that. It's just they have cash and they, they seek to deploy that cash. But end of the day, people are clipping the half billion dollar mark. And when you do that, you have to consider all the requirements. But the one that really has created, I would say, a challenge is the auditor independence piece. Okay. So if, if, you're, if you are a community bank and you, you, pat, you get to December 31, 22, and you're 500 million in assets, that means 423, you gotta comply with the FDICIA independence requirements or your audit firm does, 423. So you say, well, what, what, what's the challenge then? They'll just do it for 23. Well, that means that they can't do anything in 23 that would impair their independence with the SEC rules as the bar. So what does that mean? Well. There's a lot of non-attest services that can't be done under SEC rules. So right now it's very common for community banks to have uh, their audit firm uh, prepare their tax return, which is actually fine, but to do their tax accruals and you know, prepare their deferred tax asset calculation or run depreciation schedules or uh, prepare financial statements. Th those types of things that are perfectly fine under the AICPA rules if, they, if safeguards are in place become problematic in an SEC scenario. So your firm can't do, your audit firm can't do those things for you. You have to outsource it. You have to outsource it or, or you have do to it do it or, or do it right. internally. That's right. So, but what that means is, is it's not about uh, what period it relates to, it's when they provide the service. So you clip it at 22, you go into 23, they can't, they can't prepare your 22 financials for you in 23 or you create a problem. But even beyond that, there's a requirement in 363 for comparative 
presentation. So same example, let's say you hit, you hit 22 and you say, you hit the year end 22 and you say to your firm, hey, I, you know, or your firm says, hey, we can't do these things in 23. We can't prepare the financials. We can't finish the tax accruals, can't do any of that stuff. You gotta do it or get somebody else to do it, fine. But here's another challenge. If, <clears throat> so you have, if you have comparative presentation because you're required to, the firm, the audit firm has to be independent for the entire 22. In their in window of yeah. the audit. Well, in compare, if you're doing comparative, you don't have two separate opinions there. It's two, it's two comparative right. periods. So they have to be independent for 22 as well, but not just independent under AICPA rules, but under SEC rules. So really what that means is, is you've got to be looking ahead and really plan two years ahead or, or you could find yourself in a position where you've, you would have to change your financial statement auditor or consider changing. And so, so I think the, 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 the challenge is being a, planning ahead and thinking about auditor independence. Obviously, hopefully audit firms are communicating well in advance with their clients and clients are communicating well in advance with audit firms, but that, that doesn't necessarily always happen. And you know, if you think about, well, what's the, what's the fix for a for independence breach. Well, the worst case scenario, and I'm not saying the only case scenario, but the worst case scenario is a re-audit mm -hmm. by a firm who is independent. Well, I mean, it's, that's it's a nightmare expensive. for everybody. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a community bank, you're a pillar of the community, you don't need to be having re-audits done. It's just not a good good thing. It's, regulators are not gonna, you know, give you an attaboy for it or anything like that. So it's definitely something you need to consider. So. Uh, similarly, when, when you're approaching a billion and, and you're trying to keep it under a billion and you surge, you know, you gotta, you, you'd have to quickly uh, put together a fiduciary implementation plan for the ICFR piece. Right. So the moral to the story, I think, is be looking ahead and be cautious and be talking to your auditor uh, so you don't run into these plan things. But uh, if you do, uh, there are people out there you can consult with, and that would, uh, you know, certainly be uh, some a firm like ours who's right. happy to to take a look at it. Uh, th there's there's more than one way to view it, but I think uh, the way I articulate it is 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 supported by the regs that are out there. I, I agree, and um, I think that concludes our our discussion on fiducia transitions. And I appreciate it, Doug. Thank you for tuning into the It Figures podcast. Thank you. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review.